2: Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.
3: 560 The Joe, Radio Rewind. Running back some of the best you've heard here on 560 over the past 24 hours. Where you at? It's Dan Day on social media at Dan Day Radio. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, the whole nine yards. I got you and I got you covered. On the way, Joe Rosho talking about the upcoming draft NFL draft, that is, with Mark Ross. Greeny talking to one of my heroes growing up, Ozzie Smith. Ooh, greatest shortstop of all time, in my opinion. That backflip, he'll tell a story on how the backflip got its origins in his life. And then Hawk and Crowder, they have a new song from Solana. Banger or not a banger? We shall see. Let's bang out some headlines. The Heat ended their six-game losing streak while also ending the Knicks' three-game winning streak yesterday when they defeated New York 98-88. Aaron Ekblad is out for the season after undergoing surgery for a fractured leg. The Panthers are back in action tonight at 7 against the Red Wings. Miami held its Pro Day yesterday. Defensive end Jalen Phillips impressed Scouts and is expected to be a first-round pick. The Canes basketball team will lose another player to the transfer portal. Yesterday it was guard Chris Likes. today it's center Nasir Brooks. The Marlins have traded right-hand pitcher James Hoyt to the Angels for cash consideration. Opening day is Thursday against Tampa. Inter-Miami and D.C. United are the two teams vying for the talents of former Liverpool striker Daniel Sturridge. Inter opens their season April 18th against the LA Galaxy. Houston defeated Oregon State, while Baylor downed Arkansas last night to punch their tickets into the Final Four. While tonight at 7-15, USC will face Gonzaga, while UCLA and Michigan do battle at 10. And now, let's go ahead and take a step into the day spa. <sighs> An 8-year-old in California has sold over 32,000 boxes of Girl Scout cookies. She may only be 8, but she's already a professional at guilting people. A man here in Florida has broken a record by watching Avengers Endgame in movie theaters almost 200 times. Forget calling him Florida man, call him lady killer. A British woman who is pregnant for the 4th time vows to post pictures of her growing baby bump on her OnlyFans page for a fee. Hmm. My hot mess of the day. A group of ravens in Alaska are being accused of robbing Costco customers of their groceries. Guard your beer. Those ravens are thirsty. Getting up in the morning, gotta love Joe Rose. Seriously, when I come in at like 7, 8 in the morning for work, Joe Rose is up and at them, full of energy and coffee, of course, but nonetheless, and no one gives you better coverage of the Dolphins than he does. So he got Mark Ross on earlier today to talk about those Dolphins draft picks, the talent pool that is going to be available in the upcoming NFL draft, who's the best pick for Tua, and running that 40.
4: NFL Network analyst Mark Ross. You can follow him on Twitter, also at Mark Ross, M-A-R-C, joining us here for a couple minutes. Mark, thanks for coming on the show. Dolphins had a heck of a Friday
1: afternoon last Friday, huh? Yeah, they kind of threw everybody off with all that movement going on there. Woke everybody up that day.
5: Mark, I was just curious, what were your thoughts a a month out? Because we were all surprised, not that they made that trade. I think a lot of people thought they would trade down, but a month out and the way it was a two trader from 3 to 12 and back up to 6, what were your thoughts?
1: Well, I liked the three to twelve, and then <laughs> when they jump back up, to six, you know, to, to go back up and give up that first round pick, I so I didn't particularly care for that. But for them, it, it's obvious that they have somebody in mind or two guys in mind that, when you're doing the math with that. Say, okay, these four quarterbacks will probably go, and here's these two or three playmakers that we really want to get there in that spot. So you know, you always want to accumulate the, the picks, and they they did that. Uh, but then when they gave that up, it, it was obvious that all right, we got a guy. We, we're trying to make sure we get him at six.
5: Mark, do you, do you think we've been going back and forth on this? Do you think the top four picks in this draft, maybe five, with more trades potentially, can we see five quarterbacks or four quarterbacks in a row go to start this draft?
1: Yeah, for sure. I, you know, it's it's the first three are slam dunks. You got to go with the, those teams. It's with San Fran jumping up in there, they're not doing that for a left guard. So, uh, (laughs) and then, and then, um, Atlanta there I think they're in the perfect spot to, to take quarterback and they have to do it or to all right we like Matt Ryan we think he can still do it to another team get in there at four which you know leaves you with with Mac Jones still catching fire and catching uh you know rising and rising as we speak and everybody gets desperate the closer you get to draft day for the quarterback so I think for sure you'll see three in a row four in a row and then maybe five in the top 10.
4: What do you are you hearing anything about San Francisco at three I mean I think we know Trevor Lawrence is gonna to go one, and I think the odds on favor for two um is Zach Wilson. But what about three? Could it be Mac? Could, could it be, you know, Justin Fields? Like, have you heard anything there? Because the only rumor I've seen in the last couple of days they might be in love with the Mac Jones from Alabama.
1: Yeah, I can't see that at all. And, um you, you know, you look at Jimmy G's skill set and Mac Jones' skill set, and if, if they're talking about getting all that, you know, trading all that to get up into that spot, it's not for a Mac Jones type of talent, you know. He did wonderful at Alabama, but he's not a, a sort of playmaking talent that you would give that up for. So you're, you're looking at, it. in my view, Justin Fields or Trey Lance. I like Justin Fields better, but they may see it differently. And I think it's definitely one of those two guys. I, I like them. I, I don't think there were three, three ones in a three. So, uh, and the history of teams trading up into the top five for a quarterback has not been good you know, over the last 10 years. Uh, so it's a huge risk. It's a huge gamble, and um, you know they, it, whoever it is, they have their guy identified. You know, people been talking about. Well, they don't know yet, and you know they came out their front office like, please, they know. If you, if you, if at this point, you don't know who your guy is, then <laughs> that was a horrible trade because if you're still trying to decide, yeah. we give up all this for, and we don't know why we did this, uh, then you're really doing your team a disservice.
5: We just got this on the text machine, and it's actually a really good question. Should we know by the end of this season what we have in Tua Tunga-Vailoa? It would be 26 starts. Should that give us a pretty good idea what we have considering they're going to build around them, your young offensive lines going into year two and, and everything else? We, we should have a pretty good idea, right?
1: Without a doubt. And it's I don't. it won't take the whole year. It'll take a few games. And I always say this about quarterbacks, when uh, you know, particularly you know, older guys, and you're like, if we do this, do that. But if you see after the first few games the same things you saw last year, then that's just who he is. Right. And you you can't always say, I think this is a fallacy that happens if we surround him, if we do this, if we do that. Okay, well, when it comes to a quarterback, there's still that moment of truth where he has to make the play, he has to make the throw, no matter who is around him. And if you see the similar things, uh, you know, the weaknesses that Tua had last year, and you see that after a few games, then that's the major concern to say he's not going to improve. He won't grow. Uh, This is just who he is. You know, a lot of people could say the Josh Allen thing with Buffalo, but even in when he was bad, you saw Josh Allen do things like, oh, my gosh, that's pretty special, you know, what he's doing. You saw those flashes, 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 flashes all the time and he just kind of ironed out his accuracy uh, in turning the ball over. So those are the things that you'll see over the first few games with two of his deficiencies or not if he's uh, improved on those.
4: Mark, if the first four picks are quarterbacks, Cincinnati's on the clock, and let's say they take the left tackle to help Joe Burrow for the next decade there, now the Dolphins at six are on the clock, and the playmakers we've been talking about for months now, the three wide receivers, include, and now even the tight end from Florida Pitts, Who does Mark Ross take there? Who do you like the best out of those four for a playmaker to help Tua going into this year that hopefully we will know, like you said, within a few games if he's in or not?
1: Yeah, I've been saying this uh, since I I first laid eyes on this guy scouting him and comparing him, and that's Kyle Pitts. And the reason I say that is there's no one like him. There's receivers. I love Jamar Chase, uh, but there's a pretty deep receiver class. There's some guys you can get, and each year you're seeing more and more uh, high-quality receivers come out. I haven't seen anyone like Kyle Pitts. Not just in this draft, but maybe since I've been scouting. Uh, when I go back, there's no one like the guy. His talent, his his playmaking, his body control, his speed. Uh, you know, for for that position, um, he's just really a unique, unique talent. I think he's the most talented player in the draft, regardless of position. So when you have someone who is that unique and that special. And there's no one else to compare him to. You want to go get that guy. And that's what you do in a scouting room, you know, when you're setting your board and you're looking at the value of players is, all right, who else is of similar value? And there is no one like Kyle Pitts, whereas Jamar Chase, oh, who's better? Chase or Smith or Waddle or who else you want to throw in that mix? There's also, there's a bunch of comparisons. But when you talk about Kyle Pitts, he's just in a league of his own. So that's why I would take him.
5: Mark, I want to ask you: We got all these pro days actually held today. We got Ohio State and Bama number two same time. How important are those things, especially with no combine for these teams to get out and do whatever they still need to do? Overrated or legit?
1: Yeah, I've always been a <laughs> the, the pro days combine are kind of overrated. I've always been what do they do on on in games, uh, you know? And the combine uh, the combine and pro days are just kind of give you a little bit of certainty on certain things or uh, yeah, it's particularly for scouts, they want to just check the boxes on certain things. But each year we play so much importance. But then you look at the great players in the league and say, is there any correlation between pro days and combine and and how they play? And each year it's not really. And but yet every year we still go into it because people like certainty. So it's easier to say this guy ran four four two. This other guy ran four five. That four 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 two guy is faster than that four five guy. Even though on tape the four five guy maybe looked faster. Smells all that, but the numbers give certainty to people. It gives gives scouts comfort. It gives coaches comfort, so I think that's why the importance is there so much, just because it's so easy to digest that as opposed to actually arguing and having your your view, your eye about scouting the the traits of a player, but you know, obviously, it's big business, We'll so keep going on, and it's needed. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's a little bit uh, overrated.
5: Let, let, let me ask you a follow-up on that. So, Devonta Smith, who just did – I mean, he had the greatest year in the history of college football mm-hmm. for a wide receiver. I don't – I, I sense he really doesn't want to run a 40 because it's not going to be real fast, and he doesn't want he, – and, and he doesn't want her to hurt a stock, even though he runs by people. He runs great routes. I love his releases. Does it hurt him at all in the draft?
1: Well, without a doubt. And he's been the perfect test case that I've been saying about the film versus the workouts. And I would said this after the season. I told people, when it comes draft time, people will be talking about Jalen Waddell over Devontae Smith because he's going he's gonna to run fast, he's going to jump high, he's going to do all that, and Devontae Smith won't. He was 170 pounds. If he ran, he probably will probably only run, you know, hearing stuff down there, four or five. So you're looking at it and saying, well, he can't play anymore. Well, well wait a minute, when you watched him on tape, He was the best player on the field by far. And then the numbers, you have to match it up and say, all right, he's 170 pounds, but did you see that as a hindrance when he played at Alabama, him being small? And you really didn't. And then you say, okay, he he would have only ran four or five. Did you see him playing slow in games? No, he was the fastest guy on the field. So that's where the big conundrum comes each year with scouting is the numbers, versus the play and if the numbers whatever their deficiencies are on the workout side is it a deficiency in games and if you're saying it's not then you really should ignore the numbers but instead we look at it and just assume well he's that he he's slow and he's small and he can and we should knock him down so uh, it, it is a it, it, I think he knew that his, I think he was prepared for that the way he's been doing this this season, this postseason work. And if he was fast, he would run fast. Yeah. Let's be clear. If he was going to run a 4-3, he would jump out there and run it. But he knows he can't. So I think he's been advised better. Hey, let's just leave the intrigue uh, to your 40 time instead of approving it.
5: Mark, I'm glad you said I've been cracking up. I go, every fast guy I ever play with, Love to run 40s because they, oh, yeah. they knew it was fast. <laughs> yeah, fast guys run fast. Right. <laughs> yeah. you Speaking
1: never, of that, uh, just real quick about the combine where you talk about numbers and stuff. I remember one right. year, Jacoby Ford from Clemson a bunch of years ago. He was a 60-meter champion in the ACC for a couple years. right? He goes to the combine to go run his 40s he blazes a 4-3. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, he, you know, he ran you know, they're going nuts. It's like, did you think the 60-meter champion of the ACC <laughs> right. was going to run slow? You, you know, so those are the things where yeah. you're just <laughs> like, what are we talking about here? You know, so that, that's kind of how numbers in, in the count line hey, kind of gets thrown it, off. It,
5: it, it's <laughs> so funny because this kid Schwartz is from down here who was the fastest kid in high school football three years ago, goes to Alabama, and he's playing like, yeah, he couldn't wait to get in front of the line for Auburn's Pro Day to run now 40 because <laughs> yes. he knew that bad boy. He didn't know it was going to be in the twos, man. He can fly, <laughs> yeah. of course,
1: man. It, no question. No no
5: brainer, man, at all. Hey, um, I wanted to ask you this. How are teams treating this Deshaun Watson thing that's going on right now on uh, all the allegations and civil lawsuits? So, So what do you do if you're a team and you still need a quarterback. What do you do?
1: Yeah, you just have to lay off of that one, and um, it's it's unfortunate. Whatever comes out, of all this and it's looking bad each day. And I haven't really seen something like this. And so teams, I think, are just like you, you can't touch this. You know, it's not an injury. It's not one one incident or you know drug charge or something. I mean, this is this looks pretty bad, and it's um, so teams will you cannot you cannot in any way uh, stick your neck out for in this situation right now, and that'll come right from the owner. Uh, you know, if the team has a strong owner, like, no way right now. Yeah.
4: Mark, how does the NFL handle Deshaun Watson's situation at this point also with 19 now civil suits, I guess, filed in court and n- nothing criminal yet, but it could happen soon. But how do they handle that situation going into the season?
1: Yeah, that's going to be, again, it, you, you, usually they, okay, let the information come in and let's start deliberating about it. Well, stuff that just keeps coming and coming and coming, and when, when is it going to stop? So whenever it stops is when – uh, the NFL will have to kind of make their deal. But obviously they're monitoring it now and discussing it and talking about it. But um, we'll, we'll just have to see, you know, whenever it ends and then go from there.
5: Hey, hey, Mark, real quickly, uh, another pro, a pro day from yesterday. Two of the best pass rushers just a few miles down the road here. Phillips and mm-hmm. Russo. If you had to take one of those guys for your pass rusher, and you were the GM of a team, which you, you like one, they're different kind of guys. Is there one guy you like more than the other?
1: Yeah, they are different, you know. And I, I would take Phillips. Um, he, he's just more polished. He's got. Now that being said, if his medical, if his medical checks out, you know, he had the expensive injury history at UCLA, almost quit football, uh, you know, retired from football, and uh, but he's just a more polished uh, player. and Russo, Russo's big thing was the explosiveness, but when you looked at, again, we're talking about workout numbers yesterday where Phillips kind of blew it all out with all those workout numbers. But just on film, I think, uh, you know, he's got just a more natural player than Russo is. You know, Russo was a, a wide receiver in, in high school in DB, so you're just basically counting. He hasn't played a lot. You know, started seven games that year. He blew, you know, he, he had 15-and-a-half sacks. Didn't play last year. His freshman year only played a couple games because he was hurt. You know, both, I think both will go at least in the top 20, certainly in the first round.
5: You know what I've learned, Mark? Doing I there's one thing about football I wanted to tell you because I I really need to tell somebody this, and I got you, and you seem like a nice guy. <laughs> oh, I, I have oh. learned doing talk radio now for a long, long time that I would suck as a GM. I would be terrible. <laughs> I'd get fired so fast. The fans would hate. Might have to move back to my hometown in California, man. It would just. Oh. It would be
1: terrible doing I'm this. sure you'd be alright. I just guess like every, all the rest of rest <laughs> <Yeah>,
5: Right, right. <laughs> uh, you don't have to be responsible. Anything I my big mouth says, so you're right, Mark. You're,
1: Appreciate you, it, buddy. Marty. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. You guys have a good
3: one. Though. Run, run, magic run. I'm telling you, Joe Rose, 6 to 10 weekday mornings, it'll get your day started right, or it'll end your day right, if you're one of those people that works the third shift. Joe's got you covered. Greeny's got you covered, too.
2: I always worked extremely hard at trying to be a well-rounded player, and in many instances, I don't think I was given you know credit for the offense that I was able to create.
3: The legend, Ozzie Smith. Next on 560 The Joe Radio Rewind. 560 The Joe Radio Rewind. Running back some of the best you've heard here on 560 over the past 24 hours. Hola, it's Dan Day. Social media at Dan Day Radio. Go ahead, follow. You'll thank me later. Maybe not. Maybe so. But you'll never know unless you follow. Follow me right now. I'm very excited to share this with you. Greeny, he's on from 10 to noon. Earlier today, he had the Wizard of Oz. Ozzie Smith, my childhood hero. To me, the greatest shortstop of all time. I was a huge Ozzie Smith fan. Got to see him play in person a couple of times. I had some family in St. Louis. So now this is an absolute treat. Talking about his defense, but oh yeah. People forget he also had some offense. Also, St. Louis's love affair with baseball, thoughts on the game today, and he gives us the origins of his backflip.
6: Alice Sand is second for one, the double play. What a double play by Ozzie Smith. Oh, uh, mercy.
7: block hits one toward the hole. Ozzie gets the force. A definitive moment from the definitive shortstop of his generation and maybe
1: in the history of the game. Smith, corks one into right, down the line! It may go! Go crazy, folks, go crazy! It's a home run, and the Cardinals have won the game! A standing ovation for Ozzie Smith.
6: Welcome to the Hall of Fame, Ozzie. We continue here, and it is my distinct privilege to welcome the Hall of Famer Ozzie Smith to our Baseball Legends Week here on ESPN Radio. Thank you so much, Ozzie. How are you today? All right, Mike. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing great, and I got to tell you, I'm looking around the room, and everyone in here has goosebumps listening to
2: those calls. I'm just curious, like, when you hear them, what does it make you feel? Well, it's it's special in light of the fact that uh, Mr. Buck is is at the mic, and you know, uh, being such a legend himself and has come up with so many wonderful calls, especially in postseason, season, um, it makes me feel very special to have been a part of something that, uh, that has endured.
6: You know, all those moments, you know, the go crazy moment, the home run you hit in the NLCS in 85 and all the rest of that. If you live to be a hundred and I'm here to tell you, I hope that you do. (laughs) If you live to be a hundred, what will be the one moment in your career that you will absolutely never forget?
2: (laughs) That would be it. Uh, you know, certainly I, I, you know, I didn't hit, uh, hit total of 28 home runs in my career, but it, feels like i've hit 500 because of that call you know and it is the it is the one moment that uh, that people remember and it's always nice to be a part of a moment that people can look back and they can tell you exactly where they were when the when the moment happened and you know i have so much of that every day of my life you know so it's just nice to to have been a part of that and uh, of course Jack Buck made it very special how do you explain it
6: like like how does a moment like that actually happen again you hit 28 home runs in your career. That's a walk-off shot in, in, a, in, a, in an NLCS game that, if I have this right, is the, your first home run of your career as a left-handed batter after more than 3,000 plate appearances. How do you explain that?
2: Well, you know, I think that in 1985, I uh, Mike had met Mackie Shieldstone and always worked extremely hard at trying to be a well-rounded player and, and in many instances I don't think I was given you know uh, credit for the offense that I was able to create you know if it's stealing bases and driving the runner in from third base with less than two down on a consistent basis and being able to get the runner over and get him in those things sometimes are overlooked because guys are hitting the ball out of the ballpark but it's that part of my game that and part of the Cardinal organization that uh, played that type of baseball and uh, I think that was one of the reasons that Whitey uh, actually brought me over here because he knew that I could, you know, I, I could do those things. And so that particular moment, uh, after I had met with Mackey, and Mackey had helped me become uh, a little bit stronger, stronger from the standpoint of not hitting the ball out in the ballpark, but being able to back the defense up. I took that, and I took that with working hard and learning how to pull the ball, get the ball down in the corner, and prevent the guys from being able to throw the ball and get me out inside. as can, consistently as they had and all of those things in 1985 came together I knew I realized how to how to pull the ball a little bit better uh had a little bit more power and I certainly in that instance was not trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark I was just trying to get myself in scoring position and as you know in bush stadium there are very few um there are little spots in the ballpark you know maybe 15 feet from each line where the ball has a chance to go out if if a little guy hits it and In that instance, uh, he supplied the the power, I supplied the technique, and and history was made. I can't
6: tell you how much I'm loving this conversation because you're talking about a game that barely is played. It's barely recognizable to most people who are watching the sport today, and it's just wonderful. The next thing I want to ask you about, Ozzy, is the love affair between... The city of St. Louis and the Cardinals is something that I'm not sure I've seen matched anywhere. And this is an example I use. I've mentioned this in many interviews that I've done over the years. Any adult that I meet that I did not know as a child Most of the time, I don't know where they're from. If if I meet you as an adult, I don't know where you're from. Why would I know where you're from? Anyone who grew up in St. Louis, I know they're from St. Louis. And they never stop talking about being from St. Louis. And they never stop talking about the Cardinals. How would you describe the love affair between that city and that baseball team?
2: Well, I think it's, uh, Mike, it comes from pe- the people around here. They they come from the land, you know, so they understand what hard work is. And, and, and I think for years, the organization has always been one that has been fundamentally sound. And I came here at a time when that was really accented, you know, so the appreciation for the final parts of the game, I think, are one of the things that, that sets this city apart. They know that, Baseball can be won without necessarily being a big power-driven uh, team. We, we proved that through the 80s that if you execute the fundamentals and you execute them more consistently than the opposition, you have a better chance to win, even if you don't hit the ball out of the ballpark. With good overall team speed, you're always able to put pressure on the defense, and if you don't strike out and you don't beat yourself, you got a chance to win. And I think that was what we proved in the 80s, and I think that's the thing that that um, endeared people to the type of excitement that is created every day when you come to the ballpark. You didn't know exactly how it was going to be done, but because we we executed fundamentals, we had good overall team speed, something exciting uh, had the capability of happening. And even if the team wasn't, you know, we could be getting shut out, but that one though Infield hitter, that one blooper be the start of a big inning. And we certainly had our share of that in the 80s. you In fact,
6: you had the best defense in the sport in the 80s from 82 to 1990. Whitey Herzog, the manager, Ozzie Smith, the shortstop. The Cardinals had the number one defense in baseball. All right, so the two things that made you a legend, that made you a Hall of Famer, which are defense and stolen bases, are two things that are sort of being lost in the game or at least being de emphasized for the most part in the game today. So you, to me, are the perfect person to ask. How do you feel about the directions that the game has taken?
2: Well, I, I mean, it's been a little disheartening to watch. You know, I think that Too much emphasis now are put on all of these other things when, when, as I mentioned a second ago, you know, the things that we concentrated on Mike were being able to drive that runner in from third base with less than two down on a consistent basis. is very, very important to the success of any team. Learning to be, to get that guy over. If guy gets on learning to get that guy over and get him in. Those are, those are the fundamental things that never change. Catching and throwing the baseball that will never change. And the teams that do that more consistently are the teams that are going to give themselves the best chance at winning. Yeah, you know, uh, teams are much more offensive oriented today, but you still got to play defense to get to the big dance. And so that was the thing that we prided ourselves on. It was one of the things that I prided myself on, being able to play on both sides of the ball. That certainly is missing today. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever get back to it. But, you know, people love seeing that ball fly out of the ballpark, and it certainly is flying out of the ballpark at, at an alarming rate. Um, occasionally, you do get to see some good defense play. There are some guys that are pretty good defensive players. We just acquired probably one of the, the best defensive third basemen the game has ever seen in in uh, Nolan Arenado. You know, so it's going to be fun for me to watch a player of his caliber play here this year and, and watch him Watch him do his thing, and and the people show their appreciation for all the things that he brings.
6: The great Ozzy Smith is with me. My favorite stat that I saw today, in getting ready to welcome you to this program, in Ozzy's final season, he struck out 18 times in 603 at bats. <laughs> Those are numbers that people are not ultimately yeah. familiar with today. Ozzy, shortstops making 300 million bucks. We got one in San Diego. Oh, we may have one in New York today.
2: What do you think? Well, I was born too early, Mike. Oh, hey. <laughs> they're, uh, <laughs> they're making uh, they're making a lot of money today. You know, they're. I think the guys today certainly are much more offensive oriented. You know, I don't think that there's as much emphasis put on defense. Although, those, you know, those guys that you're mentioning are, are pretty good defensive players, but I don't know if if they would be considered prototypical shortstops like myself or and Omar Vizquel were back in the day. But, uh, you know, it's it's where we've come. It's it's where it is. And, you know, we just uh, sit back and try and enjoy it as much as we
6: possibly can. Absolutely. The great Ozzie Smith is with us here. All right. One more story. I'm, I'm dying to get.
0: Just going to sit back and have a little story time.
6: Tell me a story. All right. So those of us who watched your career will remember your trademark back flip. I want to make sure everyone who's too young to remember knows I'm not saying back flip. <laughs> I'm saying back flip. And I got, a, I got a note here that said you, that you learned that by practicing in sawdust piles at a lumber yard as a kid. Tell us the story of how you first started doing the backflip.
2: Well, I, we lived in, uh, I grew up in South Central Los Angeles, and we lived across the street from a, a, uh, a lumber yard where they, there was plenty of sawdust and there were boards. And we used to go over there and we'd take old inner tubes and we'd patch them up. And my brothers and my friends would sit on the side and would use that as our springboard. And then on Thursdays, we'd go to what they call family fun centers where they had trampolines in the ground. And, you know, as kids, you know, it was always about a dare, Mm -hmm. you know. So we used to tumble over the concrete on Thursdays from one trampoline to the other. So I was one of those daredevil kids. So. I learned to tumble. So when um, when I uh, made it to the big leagues in 1978, which was my rookie year, in spring training, we had to run a couple miles after we practiced. Well, I wasn't one for running long distances. I, you know, I, I was a sprinter. After we finished, I had Gene Tennis, Dave Winfield, Raleigh Fingers, Gaylord Perry, all were giving me a hard time about being the young guy and being the, being at the back of the pack. So to show the guys that I wasn't tired, I did a round off backflip, and at the time, Mike, I could really leap. I had had good leaps. Because I I played basketball in high school, too, you know. So uh, that was was the other sport that I played. And, And so I had good leaps. And Gene Tennis had girls that were involved in gymnastics, and he wanted me to show them that I could do it at some point in time during the season, which we weren't able to do. So the final day of the season, which was Fan Appreciation Day, he and the PR guy, thought it would be a good idea to get the crowd excited for me to do that going out to my position. I reluctantly did it, and people liked it so much, they asked me to do it opening day the following year, and lo and behold, a trademark was born. Mm,
6: A great story, and the note here, when you went into the Hall of Fame at the unveiling of your statue, the sculptor said, quote, you spent half your career up in the air. That makes it difficult for a sculptor to do something with it. (laughs) (laughs) No, man, that dude really
3: was one of the greatest... Oh, Greeny and Ozzy making it good.
7: Speaking of making it good, Hawk and Crowder. All right, here it is. Without further ado, the cheesesteak song.
3: New music next here on 560 The Joe Radio Rewind. 560 The Joe Radio Rewind Running back some of the best you've heard here on 560 over the past 24 hours How do you do? I am Dan Day on social media at Dan Day Radio. That's Facebook Instagram Twitter Cool thing on my Twitter Yesterday I posted the show that we did here at 560 for Radio Rewind and of course a lot of it paid homage to perry farrell Jane's addiction porno for pyros great lead singer great musician founder of Lollapalooza, one of my heroes paid homage to him throughout the show playing some music talking about him stories just all types of inspiration that he's done and he actually liked the tweet today so very nice very nice i'm now a very happy person always happy to hear some hawk and crowder nobody does it better than they do nobody has more fun than they do Especially when Solana's dropping hot beats and songs about cheesesteaks.
7: But Solana, so you've got a new banger, and and you're declaring this a banger, correct? Yeah, this is a banger. There's
8: no doubt about it. This one, certified. I haven't even played it yet. It's already a certified
7: platinum banger. <laughs> well, now Crowder and I have not heard it. We've only been told via your text that said new banger alert. So, do you want to give us some context for this?
8: This. Transpired on National Cheesesteak Day. So I believe that was about six, seven days ago, maybe a week ago. And I missed it initially and I was re-listening to the Mount Rushmore of cheesesteaks that we did on National uh-huh. Cheesesteak Day. Uh, I caught this and I had to go into the lab yesterday and create Interesting. this painting.
7: All right, so you were compelled, like this is when an artist is compelled to, you know, they wake up in the middle of the night and they have to write this song. It's just oozing out of them, right? Or a, a painter, uh, you know, is hit with a vision and says, I have to put this on canvas. So you heard this, and I'm not goofing around here because I've not heard this song, neither is Crowder. I'm not goofing around. You heard this. You said, I have to put this on audio. It's it's speaking to me. This is me in
8: my Vincent Van Solana okay. form. All I right. mean, I heard All this,
7: right. and I
8: just got a vision, and I had to make it come to life all right so should we play this now or should we
7: tease it for the next segment like what uh a lot of hype there a lot of hype there i know well you're, you're you're all right okay yeah you're right that would be unfair all right here it is ladies and gentlemen the newest ba- are you still calling yourself Lil' Soul on the Beat? Actually, no, I debut my new my new name. Oh, here. really? Right, well, you have a new oh. moniker? Intercom. You have a new moniker.
8: I mean, Entercom changed your name today, and uh Fox right. Sports Sun or Fox Sports Florida is changing to Bali tomorrow. I thought it was only right. There's got to be change. There has to be some wow. change. And
7: and someone pointed out because I was talking about it at the beginning of the show that um, you know, American Airlines Arena is going to be FTX Arena now. Uh Marlin's Park a apparently, is going to have a name change. They've apparently sold the naming rights, and I am told we will find out tomorrow by an inside source what the new name is for Marlins Park. So there are new names all over the place. So now we don't even work for Entercom anymore. We work for Odyssey. So you're telling me that Lil' Soul on the Beat has been retired? Lil' Soul on the Beat has been retired, yes. Wow, what a... What a couple of weeks that have transpired here. All right, so is there a name for this banger? The Cheesesteak Song. All right, here it is. Without further ado, The Cheesesteak Song. Today is National Cheesesteak Shit. Ste- ge- easy for me to Tell <laughs> what you want to do, to that cheesesteak huh? Cheesesteak shit. Ste- cheesesteak. Huh? cheesesteak. Huh? So, so, so much so much so, so much so. Tell me what you want to do, to that cheesesteak cock.
0: Huh? <laughs>
7: Cheese steak, uh, ste- <laughs> cheese Tell me the <laughs> what you want to do to that cheese steak, cock. <laughs> like ketchup, <laughs> ketchup, 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 ketchup. Cheese, cheese steak, cheese <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what you want to do that cheese steak, cock. <laughs> that is so bad. That is so bad. I've just received a memo from David Field, the CEO of Odyssey. You're still part of Entercom. It doesn't exist anymore, but just you, Solana. They, they do not consider that audio. What? And so they, they hadn't, I don't know what was happening there. Was, I don't think it was on the cheeseburger in paradise beat. I, I think there were a couple of things wrong. It made me laugh, no question. What's your new name? So Much Soul. So Much Soul. (laughs) Solving S-O-L? That's right. So Much Soul.
5: So so Much Soul.
7: Did you make that yourself or (laughs) or you steal that from somewhere? No, I made that.
8: Yeah, I made that. So creative. Did you listen to it while you were making it? (laughs) <laughs> or you
7: just just put just throw some audio together. Nah, I mean, yeah, the you first, know, just, first uh... text that came in just said I deal. Uh the second one says, I'm bleeping crying. So I don't know right now. I don't I don't know. Uh okay, third one. What in holy hell was that? It was there was a lot going on there, and then all of a sudden out of nowhere you were just bombarded with ketchup, catch up, catch up. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think you may have had a concept and i'm not necessarily certain the concept played out correctly uh, but let's listen to it again together this is obviously jimmy buffett's cheeseburger in paradise uh, remixed with my inability to say cheesesteak let's hear it today is national cheesesteak cheese steak show. It is ste- ge- it. easy for you to do. <laughs> tell me what you want to do to that cheesesteak hot cheesesteak cheese. so much so so much so much so cheese. cheese. Tom, what you want to do that cheese steak cock cheese <ermaid> <theat>. <theat>. steak shit uh, stee- cheese ge- g- there. In in th- tom, what you want to do that cheese steak cock <falling> <theat>. <appearing>. ketchup 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 <laughs> that's the only Who redeeming part of, part of that song cheese steak, cheese Tell Tom, what <laughs>. you <from> want to do that cheese steak cock there is it's going to be a no for me dog Come on, Crowder, send me to L.A. Come on, Crowder, send me to L.A. You're going to need one more yes vote to go to L.A., Crowder. I, I'm sorry. You're a talented young man, Mr. Solana, but I'm I'm sorry at this point I can't send you to the next stage. Yeah, You're just not ready.
3: Is the song a banger? Is it not a banger? Solana's my dude, dude, so let's go ahead and just say banger, 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 banger. Not a banger, 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 just a banger, one banger. On that one right there. Hawk and Crotter weekdays from 2 to 6 right here on 560. The Joe, the Heat, they got back in the wind column over the Knicks. I know there's some mixed feelings about that here in South Florida, especially with a lot of New Yorkers now moving to the area because they can work from home and they don't want to be in New York anymore and it's cheaper here and it's nicer here and, you know, all the other stuff. South Florida, what else can you say? But nonetheless, the Heat got off the schneid. Let's give you one hot minute right here.
0: Bam, looking for space, out to Totter. Open three, Totter, got it to go! Second one for Totter from downtown. And the Heat now up 21-16. Butler up and under, pass to Bam. Bam, on the baseline. the jump shot's good. Boy, what a nice job by Jimmy. I thought Jimmy was gonna put it up himself. He was open for the shot, but found Bam. And Bam in a bio now, with 10 points, just like Butler, and the Heat trail by five. Inside, a Chua with a right hand jam as he replaces Bam. And Miami's up by one, 52-50. Totter, front court. Backs up against R.J. Barrett now on that left side, trying to turn the corner. No, well there, the bam, bam off the glass, got it up and in. Miami back up by ten. And Randall against Iguodala, stole it. Iguodala took it out of his hands. Back with it, Butler across the floor, totter to Butler, two-hand jam, Jimmy Butler, and a good steal down at one end and a slam at the other as Miami stole it and now up by 14 with 2:20 left. New York. Final score, Miami wins it. 98-88 to put an end to that six-game slide.
3: Heat won last night. My Pelicans won last night. Yes. All we do is win, 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 win. Let's keep those winnings going. I win because I get to hang out with you. So let's do it again tomorrow at around 6 o'clock right here on 560 The Joe Radio Rewind. Later, slug.
0: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours.